On today's episode, we're talking about one of my favorite aspects of filmmaking, music in film. Now, I'm sure you've heard this before, but the old saying is true. Music represents over 50% of a great film, especially in horror. If you were to drop out the music in any horror picture, it would just end up being a bunch of people looking scared walking down hallways. <laughs> it would be the most boring thing ever. Music has the special ability of being a trigger for different emotions. Want to feel anxiety? Lay in some high-pitched strings or some scary percussion. Want the audience to feel that romantic kiss? Throw in a heart-tugging swell. I mean, this stuff works really well, and if you're really good at playing with it, you can really craft the emotions the exact way that you see them as a director. I love a great score. The original Blade Runner, Exorcist, The Shining, and Jaws are just a few that I listen to regularly. They have somehow transcended the film for me, and they've become the score to my creative sessions, which is awesome. I strive to one day direct a film with a score that lives up to those. And I've been lucky enough to collaborate with some amazing young talent who I feel that one day might just do that. First, Skyped in from Europe is my good buddy Martin from the new retrowave music act, Code Electro. You've heard his music on our show, we use it for our intros and outros, and if you download one of his albums, you'll swear it's a score from a movie. That makes sense because he comes from a career from scoring commercials. He does really amazing work and I can't wait to talk to him. Our second guest recorded live here with me in Boston is my best bud and longtime collaborator, Mike Tran. Mike has done all of my scores since the Punisher film that no one got to see, which is a damn shame because his music was fantastic in it. Uh, he also did the music for Moped Nights, Chef's Night Off, and of course, 12KM. I'm excited to dig deep into the creative process behind scoring for film with these guys, and I want to address the big question lately. What comes first, music or the edit? And are temp scores helpful or destructive? So, without further ado, here is the latest episode of In Love With The Process. Hello, everybody. I am really excited about this episode because it's focused on one of the most important aspects of filming and uh, filmmaking, in my opinion, uh, and that's uh, music and scoring. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the sound is literally 50% of anything that you see on TV, in the movies, or on your fucking cell phone. Um, so uh, sound tends to be one of the most frustrating things for me because being a filmmaker that sort of comes up in this uh, do-it-yourself territory, uh, music, uh, I'm not a musician, I've never been musically inclined, so I often have to, uh, I hate having to turn something over to someone that I can't physically do myself. So it's, um, I spend a lot of time compensating for that uh, by listening to as much music as I can and listening to the stuff that I like and really trying to verbalize uh, what it is that I like about um, uh, the way music affects people in the audience. And it's it, it can be very difficult. Um, so uh, I like to hang out with uh, people like the two folks that I'm hanging out with today. Um, first, joining me here in Boston is my good buddy, Mike Tran. How good is it? Um, now, I met you quite a few years ago through my girlfriend, Gina, right? Yep, yep. And then you guys met each other working in the nightlife. She was shooting photography for nightlife stuff, and then you were DJ, right? Yep, yep. I was working in the nightlife industry in Boston, and uh, I'd met Gina through uh, her photography, and she'd come out and do uh, some photography for us. But uh, yeah, just uh, just knew her, Gina as a creative, and then uh, we met through Gina. 
Yeah, and then we got start. I think we started nerding out pretty early on about movies. Mm-hmm. And then um, you were were you composing at that time? Were you doing stuff for film? Yeah, I was working with a um, a company um, in Austin, um, and I was um, scoring and uh, doing pretty much uh, like all their audio for them. Um, and there was kind of more of like a documentary film kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, I'd been working with them for a little while, and uh, it was actually like my first real foray into like like film production and uh, sound scoring and stuff. But yeah, no. And then since then, you and I have worked together on actually my biggest stuff. Yeah. So was the first time we worked together was on that Punisher short that no one was allowed to see. Yeah, the, the first <laughs> the first one was the Punisher one. Yeah, and then you worked really hard and made some really great music for stuff that no one, <laughs> no one ultimately was able to listen to. Um, and then after that, uh, we did uh, Moped Nights. Yep. Um, and then we did 12KM, obviously. You yep. did all the 12KM stuff. And then we recently just collaborated together on Chef's Night Off, which yep. just yep. came out, yep. which is cool. Um, okay, so also joining us from Denmark is another good friend of mine. Uh, I call him Martin. It's Martin in real life, but I'm just a stupid American. <laughs> uh, but he is also known uh, to the uh, to the internet in the general public as uh, Code Electro. Um, and uh, Martin, I think I also met you through Gina on Instagram yeah. at the same time, right? I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you, I, like, how did you guys? You were looking for someone to do album cover artwork or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was just uh, browsing on Instagram, checking out some, some cool photos. And then Gina did this uh, Blade Runner series inspired. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was uh, really awesome. And, and um, I, I, I can't remember who, who wrote to, to who, but, uh, but um, yeah, we started talking about Blade Runner and uh, yeah, and then uh, maybe you contact, contacted me, or maybe I contacted you. I can't remember. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, how the, that's how the internet works. Like uh, really quick exchanges, and then somehow you forget how we actually met. Oh, there was a um, drop out there. Hello. I, I'm still there. I see you. Every once in a while. So we're connecting with uh, Martin via FaceTime audio right now, and you're going to be recording it remotely. So every once in a while, we drop signal. So just bear with us if we're a, a little bit awkward here in the studio, but. You can hear me now, yes? <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Very so good. the good. Uh, the uh, references with Blade Runner is interesting because uh, Martin is a part of uh, a subgenre of music that I'm a huge fan of, uh, this uh, new retro wave movement, correct? Yeah, yeah. S- synth wave also. Oh, yeah, synth wave, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. And uh, like, uh, how would you describe that genre to an audience that hasn't listened to your stuff? Yeah, well, well, it's. I think it's the genre started around uh, or got got really popular around around the Drive soundtrack, oh, and yeah. uh, and the Kawinski track. Um, and if I'm going to name a few more uh, movies, it would be perhaps uh, Kung Fury or uh, <laughs> Tron, the Tron movie. With oh, the Daft yeah. Punk uh, score, um, they, they they all have this 80s or 70s uh, early electro, and then they 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 make it then like you did it back then, almost. Obviously, you have the computer now, and you can do all kinds of stuff that that they couldn't do. But but uh, but um, yeah, it's really popular r- right now. 
It's great, man. And I think that yeah. um, for for me, I know, and I think we're about the same age. For me, yeah. I, as a filmmaker, I'm really inspired by the movies that I started to watch in my early teens, which sort of kicks yeah. right into that 80s vibe. And I feel like these days I'm constantly, Micah has to deal with me all the time when I'm giving him references <laughs> for stuff that we do. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, I'm either, I'm either watching uh, really trashy uh, John Carpenter films from the 80s or I'm going back a little bit further and, and getting into like the grindhouse-y 1970s cinema and like uh, Sam Peckinpah and, and, and that kind of stuff. So um, it's it's really cool to see that it's picking up. I'm also a yeah. little envious that it's picking up because, you know, you want to be that guy <laughs> that's releasing these things. But then, you know, you, you fucking see, uh, you know, like the new Thor trailer and I get pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And then so you also... Uh, You've been composing music for uh, TVs and commercials, correct? Were you doing that before? Yeah. So how'd you get into yeah, that? Yeah, I started out. I started out. Uh, I, I knew a guy who wrote some music for Discovery and uh, um, uh, Viasat, which is a big channel here in Europe and in Denmark. Um, and then he introduced me to how he he wrote music for TV and commercials and promo, promos and um, and then I yeah he he taught me how to do that and then I just started writing a, a lot of music and and I was pretty lucky because it got placed pretty quick uh, and then yeah and then it just took off from there and, and I think I have been writing music for TV for like ten years or so. Uh, and it has been my main job. Um, yeah, and and then at some point I got a little bit tired of the of the um, commercial business or the corporate <laughs> business. I understand that. <laughs> yeah, and then I just you know went the total a total different way, and I started Code Electro, and I wanted to release music on vinyl, and uh, yeah, well, and, yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, well, this is, I'm really excited to have both you guys on the show, and I really want to dig deep into the process when it comes to making uh, music for pictures. And then, you know, I really want to encourage you guys also to be able to take this opportunity as we talk to be able to ask yourselves questions, because I know it's a rare opportunity where you're in a situation with one of your peers and you can sort of ask, like, <laughs> how the fuck do you get this thing done? I always love that. And that's really kind of what this podcast <laughs> is about. It's about getting. Yeah people around i mean honestly martin if you were closer we'd be sitting and having beers and probably eating sausages and, you know yeah <laughs> yeah we did that we did that that's right yeah you just recently yeah. came out and visited yeah, yeah um so all right so let's um let me just start with some more background stuff just to catch the audience up um to what you guys do um so you've done how many albums at this point? You've done two albums, and then I've been lucky enough to actually hear your third album that no one else has heard yet, which is super cool. Yeah, that's going to be a third album. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, in a month or so. Yeah. So uh, your stuff is, you know, being very influenced by the '80s. Like, how do your albums? Like, how does the writing process for your albums begin? Do you see a movie that you're pumped about, and then you start to replicate that stuff, or? You know, do you have weird dreams about a wolf that turns into a cop car and then suddenly you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. Uh, no, no, uh, uh, seriously, I um, 
I think I just start writing music and and maybe I got that from writing music for commercials because the the turnaround is so quick that yet you, maybe you have a week or so to write a, a track and then people have uh, changes that they want to be done and and I think I have brought that with me into to being an 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 artist if you will <laughs> um, and and uh, so I just start writing music and and um, I use perhaps an, a few hours on a riff or something and then if I I like it I just keep on going but I if I don't like it I just you know delete it and then start over and uh, that way I, I I start over a lot. Um, uh, and then the, the day after uh, something like that, then I listen to what I did yesterday. And if I like it, then I um, uh, keep working on it. But if I don't like it, if I, it doesn't uh, resonate with me, uh, then I, you know, delete it and start over <laughs> once again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a lot of work, but um, it's the process but, that but plagues the, us all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the only way I know I know how to do it. Um, because it, because I I need to you know I need to sleep on it or, or, or to get away from it to be able to judge it or to to be able to see if it's if it's really as good as I as I think it is. So yeah, no, like Mike was just saying, it is the process that plagues all of us. I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing with um, with uh, filming. I mean, a little bit less extent with actually filming because you're. There's usually so much on the line and there's so many people and there's so much money involved that you, if you if it's not working, you have to bullshit your way through it. <laughs> you know I mean? um, but I mean, it's yeah. definitely that way with, uh, you know, script writing and it's definitely that way with uh, pre-production for the visuals. Um, sure. So there's a lot of similarities there. And let me just get into some stuff with you, Mike, because you, you're a little bit different. Like you come from the DJ world originally, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how did you get into, how did you get into DJ? Um, well, I've been a musician um, pretty much my whole life, and I think there was a certain period coming out of college where I didn't want to be in a, a band anymore, and um, I moved into the city, and there was a, a, a pretty big culture in Boston as far as electronic music is concerned, and I just kind of picked up the knack of, uh, of DJing, so a passion I've always had uh, has always been uh, just finding music. Um, whether it's been for films, um, scores, um, whether it's just rock or rap or electronic music, um, it really was just something I've always enjoyed doing. I think it just had to do with like um, maybe the generation of like HMV and like mm -hmm. you know tower, you know, just, you just go through a record store and then just thumb through all sorts of different types of media. And at that time with CDs, there was just an abundance of that. Yeah. Um, but um. I got really into to that as a as, as a youngster, and I think I like with now part that kind of helps me out with uh, when I I think when I score is that I'm I'm thinking I'm I'm almost like I'm reading a crowd, or when I'm when I'm writing I'm thinking about like you know the audience that I'm kind yeah. of writing for in a right, right. way, which is an interesting point because you know not knowing because I you know. I'm like I'm a bit older, so I'm at like you know I'm 39 this year, so I'm I'm transitioning into the into the into the angry guy on the porch that's just screaming at what the kids are doing. Um, but I didn't I didn't come up in the electronic or the DJ scene. I really wasn't a nightlife kid. Yeah. Um, so when I first went and saw, and actually before I get into that, um, 
you know, when you think about DJs, and I've seen a, quite a few, I've seen quite a few open for dudes, and it's usually a guy that like flips open his laptop. Oh yeah, and he's sitting in front of like a little mixer board, <laughs> and he's pounding like water, and he's just twisting knobs, and and from the outside you sort of look at it and go, what the fuck? Does this guy just load up his Spotify <laughs> playlist? You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it didn't really occur to me until I really started to go see shows with that you were doing, and uh, besides. The crowd stuff, which we'll get into, just the idea that, for me at least, it seems like uh, DJing is all about preparation. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, sort of going through that process of finding all this stuff, finding what works. And then it's almost like being, I always bring shit on the show back to cooking. It's almost like being a chef mm -hmm. where you understand that you have to create a meal with a sort of an adventure mm -hmm. that runs through this sonic palette that you're creating. Yeah. And you're choosing songs that sort of line up tempo-wise. And like, how does that work? Like... Well, I mean, so with DJing in general, um, it's just a process of like selection um, and selecting music. And that, and that often just comes with like taking time and, and finding music that you that resonates within you. And, and that in finding tracks, that's just almost like um, a culmination of your life experiences, like what you've liked growing up or what you like currently. Um, and so w when you're finding tracks, you're essentially leaning on all your life experiences to pick and choose what resonates within you and then ultimately to take that and then put that into like a um an environment to be able to lay that all out so that you're not just playing this one track but now you're stringing you know a hundred of them together you know so that you can play like you know an hour and a half or two in a night um i think what, what ends up becoming um so it's it's about really your taste and what you like but then being certain what that is and mm -hmm. i think that has a lot to do with like your life experience you know there's a lot of people who are who are quote-unquote djs now but a lot of their music kind of comes from um not so much of a deep place let's say um, right, 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 and right. so you know a lot of the stuff that they play is quickly digestible and not doesn't really resonate with someone but maybe someone that's been listening to music for a long long time is able to pull strands of nostalgia um when someone's listening or, yeah, or, yeah. or 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 you know pull things that remind them of a time or a moment and i think that's where you separate you know some djs versus someone that's just starting out and for me it was interesting because i'm always looking a part of my job as a filmmaker is i, I need to figure out how to identify with people mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. ultimately uh, we're storytellers. I mean, the three of us tell stories and we use different mediums to do so. And sometimes our mediums cross, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I'm always looking for a way to take a, a, a person into the sort of this emotional journey or on emotional roller coaster. And when I watched you performing live, it was fascinating because, you know, granted, a lot of the audience that you're playing to is under the influence of something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and then they're they're very, res but that's great because they're almost like primed. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, like it's almost like the inhibitions, and it's it's just unadulterated in a weird way. Yeah. So then, you know? and then watching how you almost plug into these people, and I noted this, you almost plug into these people like a Ghost in the Shell kind of episode, where like <laughs> you then have the ability to manipulate them by by uh stimulating either this nostalgia or uh like there's this is primal fucking bass and beat thing that happens it's a fucking really interesting thing to watch yeah i mean when it comes down to it it it, it, it really comes down to it's really weird to say this but 
power and sex <laughs> you know what i mean like you, you know you play these like weird bassy tones and essentially as like humans we've we've mastered the 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 art of of harnessing what we call power of the low notes you know what i mean and and, and with bass music and like especially like weird to say this but like edm like we've we've created this wall of subwoofers essentially like you know mimicking like massive elephants like trudging through the forest you know we've somehow <laughs> harnessed it through subwoofers you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's a really cool thing and and i think uh, the reason why I want to just sort of get into some of that history is that it's interesting to see where the both of you come from. And the thing that's really exciting as a filmmaker to sort of bring it back to all the directors and people that are listening to this podcast is that that's one of the cool parts about this process is that you get to um, collaborate. And if you're doing it right, you're collaborating with people that come from really different uh, points because then the stuff that you guys create together becomes a very original piece. And I know uh, with either whether we're sampling stuff or whether Martin is is um, uh, influenced by uh, like a synth sound from the 80s, that's usually just the stepping stone, like the starting point where we oftentimes will sit there and go, I love this and this is really cool and think about this while you're working and then this is this is where we start from. And then the, the exciting part about this, especially with music and film, is that it starts to become something new and it becomes through uh, the constraints of whatever that project is, it, it becomes this new sound, which I think is really kind of interesting. Um, so I, I was off on a tangent there, but all right, let's see, where am I at? Let's see. Um, all right, so Martin, let me start with you here. So when you uh, take on a project, so most of your stuff has been uh, commercial based. Have you done any film work at the same time? No, it's, it's uh, I, I almost never write music for longer than a couple of minutes when I'm working on commercial stuff. So, uh, yeah. And how does that work for you? Because uh, do you just get a call from a production company or from a producer uh, because they've heard something that you've done before? Like, how does how does that start? How does that process start? Yeah, it, it, it could start like that. Uh, but but it's also about your network and uh, who you have been working with before, and uh, and and usually you develop these uh, re relationships with uh, directors and production companies, and and then they, you know, you have to be around. They have to meet you on the on the street or the hallway, or um, mm -hmm. you have to meet people uh, in person. I think. Um, okay. So I'm, yeah. No, I'll keep going. Yep, yep. Okay, yeah. So, so I'm what a big part of my job is also, you know, like meeting people, uh, because that's where I get the the jobs. Um, so, so you can you can easily have a SoundCloud or with all your music, but but nobody will <laughs> nobody will call you just because of that. Uh, I found I found out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you have you really have to meet people and connect with people because a big thing about writing music for others is that um, you have to uh, interpret interpret Is it called? Is it is it is that the right word? Yeah. Another interpret. person's feelings. Yeah. yeah, you have to you have to imagine another person's feelings and you have to to get his or hers feelings down on on paper or you know you know tr transform that to music because it's when you're working for other people then it's uh, the other person's project that you're trying to you know to to create music to mm. 
Um, so, so I think a big part of being a composer is a composer for for film or, or commercials is that you have to have a lot of empathy. Um, that's a good yeah. point. That's a great point, and I, and I, that sort of leads me into my and I'll transition. I'll have you answer this one for me, Mike. Um, how uh, when you're when you're working with a director for the first time, whether it's film or um, uh, commercial stuff, and you've done a lot more film stuff than mm-hmm. you have done commercial stuff. Um, is there something that, like, uh, I know that when I when I look for certain actors or I look for certain crew members, I'm sort of interviewing them quietly. And there's a sort of process of, like, how they answer things and what they do. Is there stuff that you look for from a director before you decide that you're going to take on a project? Um, I think it's important, I think, regardless of what you do, that a project resonates within you, you know, to some degree. And I think that's, like, kind of, like, in the world where this mass consumption of like, you know, content, I think there's a, a lot of content that gets out there that doesn't really resonate in people and people just kind of put it out there. I think it's really important that you, you know, whatever project you're, you're working on to some degree that it means something to you. Cause I think that's the best, that's where the best work will come out of, you know, it's, that's where like, you know, you, you're willing to, to push your boundaries a little bit further because you're willing to maybe sit that extra hour or two. You know, so I think it it should whatever whatever project you take on or director that you're working with that to some degree that whatever it is is resonates within you a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. And from from my standpoint, I always get uh, my biggest part of my job is trying to figure out how to communicate with people and then how to take what essentially is an emotion or a vision that you have and then somehow take it and put it through this fucking thing on on my face, which is called a mouth (laughs) and then translate it to you that you can at least start to see, maybe feel it a little bit. And it's never really the exact same thing. And so early on in my career, it was the process of me sort of giving up my darling's going, there's no way until, you know, literally they could plug into the back of my head and there's a TV screen and then everybody looks at it and tries to recreate that. There's no way that that's going to happen. So the process is just sort of stimulating yeah. this inspirational thing between multiple people, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So to go back to what Martin said, um, I think uh, a huge aspect of everything here it, um, for people who are scoring and producers in general is empathy. And I think when, you know, I've worked with you in the past what goes on if i could quite really describe it is um you know you will have a concept or a mode or a theme that you want to convey to me and it really is my job to be empathetic and hear what you're trying to 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 paint with your videos or your emotion and maybe even like your video might say one thing but what you intend is a different thing and it's important for i think you're a composer to to be empathetic and you really hear that out, you know, and obviously when you start sketching, it'll, it'll be like multiple different things. You'll go through multiple phases, but essentially when you're, the more empathetic you are, the more acute you will be in terms of finding the right sound and the right thing that ends up, you know, setting your piece apart from, let's say someone who just wants to do it for some money. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like you, Martin, right? It's all about yeah, money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I was going when you asked uh, Mike about uh, what to look for. I was going to say budget. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you agree with that stuff, Martin? Is there anything yeah, that sure, you want to add? Sure, okay. sure, sure. Uh, uh, but also that music is so a difficult language because different things can mean different things. So. I did this job for Fanta, I think, um, and I did this uh, acoustic uh, version uh, of a song with uh, some drums on, and it's like 15 seconds long or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the production co- company called me and they said that uh, they liked the music, but could I make it a little bit heavier? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, sure. And then I put uh, a clap in on two and four and a little more upbeat guitar. And then I said, yeah, here, is it like this? And they, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So I, <laughs> so sometimes it's, it's I think that uh, other people also have to be a part of the creative process. Uh, some, somehow, if that makes any sense, I don't know. Um, no, it does. It does. But, yeah. This transitions into my next conversation, which is something that Mike and I have already talked about, uh, with spe- especially with the last chef's piece that we did. And I know this is a big thing in Hollywood right now, where um, you know it, the conversation of what comes first. It's the whole chicken or egg conversation when it comes to score and edit, because uh, what a lot of films do now, because it's so easy to do with your uh, nonlinear edit systems, is that. Uh, editors will have a, a library of pre-existing scores. So they'll have a catalog of soundtracks or scores from movies from the past. And when they're cutting sequences or scenes, they'll use them as temp scores. And they'll start to lay these things in because I also edit my stuff and I find that I need to have some sort of tempo when I'm cutting things, especially if you're dealing in like the horror or suspense uh, um, genre because most of the time it's just fucking reaction shots it's just someone looking at something mm-hmm. and without that music uh it doesn't really mean anything and if you're making stuff for a client or if you're making stuff for a producer you really want to knock them off their socks and i'm, I'm not going to talk down on anybody but i think that there are the people that can look at something and imagine what it's going to be like yeah. and there are the people mm. that look at mm. something and go this sucks and the only reason why it sucks to them is because they're not having an emotional <laughs> connection yeah to it yeah um, so at that point, as an editor, you want to have these things in there so that A, you're having an emotional connection while you're cutting it, but also B, when you show it to someone, you want to make sure that they're on point. They understand it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So then the result of this is that uh, you're you're falling in love with this temp stuff that you are adding to this shit. And so you're cutting to it, the pacing's going to it, you're, you're you know, five frames off of this, six frames off of that, just to make sure that it cuts correct. Yeah. Um, and then this is even before a lot of times that that conversation is even had with a composer. And then the stuff is sent to a composer um, and literally like, you know, make something within these boundaries. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of what we're hearing now for scores are so really boring or they, they, they just start resonating because they're based off of temp scores. Now, after that whole rant that I just went on, I, I asked <laughs> the two of you, um, do you find it easier to work with temp scores or do you find it restrictive? It depends on the on the time frame, I think so. Because if you have the temp score, then you really quickly can, can go into the emotion pretty precisely. Um, but obviously, if, if, if it's a more artistic project, then you want to have the freedom of not having a temp score. Uh, yeah, that's how I feel. 
Yeah, I also feel it's kind of like, um, it, you know, it's, I think it has to do with intention. And it's like if if you hear a, a temp track that, you know, that a director has slotted in, I think that's you're able to really get a direct connection to what their intention is. And then from that translate into something that, you know, is your own after, after the fact. Um, but I think that's, that it, it can help, but like, like kind of Martin said, it, it can go both ways, you know, it can be helpful in terms yeah. of pinpointing it and being really quick to it, but then it can also be like con, kind of confining. Um, but I think it's up to like a producer to then be able to, you know, either push the boundaries themselves and be like, well, now I'm going to take this and now make it mine or be like, I'm going to play it safe and just give what they want because I'm done doing revisions. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I mean, I, and I'm, you know, this is one of those cases where I'm happy to have both you in the same room because I'm, I'm not really allowed to talk about what I'm working on right now, but I'm working on something that's pretty big. And if everything goes as planned, it's going to be really great. But I'm also reaching out to other directors that have started big projects and I'm, I'm learning more about, at least with film, I'm learning more about what the time frame is like on a lot of these things. And um, uh, Mike, you've worked with me long enough that you know that I love to be fully involved with sound, even like sound design, sound, sound editing, Oh yeah, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's a big thing for me. And what I'm understanding when you're making a feature film or a low budget feature film which in these days is sort of like the Bloomhouse, the $2 million right. kind of range, right. um, is that uh, the producers often will not even deal with sound until a rough cut's done. And they do a rough cut with a temp score, and then they test screen with a temp score. So they go in and they test screen to an audience. I just found this stuff out, which is wow. mind-blowing. They, Interesting. They test screen it, and then they come back out, and then you have the, the back-end usually three weeks to do both scoring and grading and so they happen at the same time so as a director you have to pick which angle you're going to go for um and i heard an interview with another director and he was talking about it's actually the guy who did lights out uh, and he was talking about how frustrated he was with the sound process because um, he couldn't be in both places at once, first off. But second, uh, he would fall in love with this temp score. And then after they screened it to an audience and everybody was sort of jacked up on how it affected people, they would have to tear it out. And then this poor comp- composer would be in the back end going, well, I, literally, how, I have to make this score, but legally make it so that they yeah. can use it. Um, and then so then I always get pulled in because my, my goal for the next piece is to do stuff that feels old, it feels you know, Spielbergian, it feels like a lot of stuff yeah. that we started with 12KM. And I think that a big part of those movies like Jaws and Close Encounters yeah. is a score that is from like the voice of a film. Yeah. yeah. Like you watch those old movies, like an old Indiana Jones trailer, and it's the fucking Indiana Jones theme in that trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah. It isn't some cut track from fucking Kanye. <laughs> No, it's like a, it's a, it's a thumbprint, you know, it's an sonic, <laughs> sonic thumbprint. Right. So, so then the question, and I've been yeah. doing all this research and I've been watching like roundtables with all the big composers that are complaining about temp score. And so then my question as a director is, okay, how do I do it? Do I just send a script to you early and go read the script and write me some music? 
Because ultimately, in the edit room, what I would love, and even on fucking set sometimes, what I would love is some tracks that you've just done for me. And they don't have to be finished tracks. They're just stuff that sort of lays that footprint down that I can then start to lay into my rough cuts and then start to fall in love with. And then everybody around is sort of falling in love with that process. Um, so I guess my question is, is it is it difficult for you guys to compose without seeing something? Is it difficult for you guys to compose off of words alone? <laughs> yeah, for, uh, I, I find it quite difficult to compose only from the script alone because it's easier for me if I can talk to the director or we can play some music for each other or if I can see something. It's my, it's uh, easier for me to to read the the energy in the in the movie or yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of weird because uh, I almost feel when you know when you're working with someone, it, you're, partly your your job is to you know again like go back to like interpreting like what what they what they want and then also like what works for both of you and I think sometimes it does help to to have a temp track, but I also see kind of like the other dilemma on the other side where it's like all of a sudden you fall in love with that temp track. And I think at that point it's the up to the producer's job to, to create something that like takes you away. Like that almost like does it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in a way, if maybe like it, you don't arrive at that place and maybe you have to kind of keep, keep at it, you know what I mean? But, um, I, I can imagine with, you know, time constraints, you only have three weeks, you know, apparently to, to, to get certain things done. It's like, you know, how much time do you have to get another song written? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I think it does help to, to get an idea of, um, you know, what the vibe is, you know, and, and, and I've, I've actually watched a couple of documentaries with like, you know, Hans Zimmer and these guys who yeah, yeah. Will, will just like do broad stroke stuff and like, you know, send in their stuff and then, you know, they'll have a director, you know, I think one of the things was a uh, Batman with Joker, the Joker scene. And oh, he, yeah, yeah. he had Hans Zimmer like take it even further, you know, and Hans Zimmer was like, okay, I'll do, you know, but yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a, it, it gave me a little bit of perspective that, you know, maybe that writing some stuff early on in is good for it, for the process. Yeah. Just so that like your director has something to bounce off. But if you think about it, you know, in that case, it, it's actually a lot earlier than three weeks in the, and you know, maybe yes, it's three weeks in the final editing process and the post-production. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you, yeah. if you think about yeah. it, if they're, if they're giving you a track, you know, while you're still shooting or even before you're shooting, when you're writing, like this is months in advance though. Oh, yeah. So at that point, oh, yeah. like you're having the dialogue with a producer months in advance, maybe even a year in advance that, that they're creating stuff and then just giving you like, you know, five or 10 tracks just to kind of like start, you know, working with. Yeah, I, I know that uh, Trent Reznor and, and David Fincher have that relationship. Where right, right, I, right. I think Fincher will send him the script early on, even before they start shooting, and then just say to Trent, just write me some stuff. And then mm. Trent will hand him a bunch of tracks that he will then start to piece, piece in. And I, you don't expect, I mean, I wouldn't expect someone to fucking write everything ahead of time. But if you have that theme or if you have that start, you can go, okay, well, turn to your editor and go, we'll temp this in. Yeah, I, I, mean, you know I, I mean, I think just like anything else, it's like a, it's like a creator, it's a process, right? Yeah. And, and maybe for them, like, that was just, okay, like, what they decided to do really early on and as, as, a, as a starting point. Yeah. And I'm sure along the way, with, especially with a guy like Trent Reznor, you know, making, you know, 
100 revisions on something is probably like a breeze to him you know what i mean yeah, yeah so like i'm sure like even though they started with like the starting point i'm sure it went through a lot of revisions to get to its final point so i think no matter which way you kind of slice it there's just always this process so whether you're doing it you know after you make a temp track and and then you're continually sculpting after the fact or you're creating a track early on in i think no matter which way you go you have to be constantly going through this process of refinement yeah yeah i agree with that i agree with that and it i al- go ahead martin i'm sorry yeah yeah i also heard uh, i read this interview with the uh, hans Zimmer, i think where where he talked about that he wrote complete songs you know, if he if if it if uh, the director only needed like ten seconds or twenty seconds, then he still wrote like a complete song for like, you know, a couple of minutes with the intro and outro, and uh, I think that's that's a pretty cool thing to do, um, because I think that you can if from my writing music for commercials and 10 and 15 seconds uh, tracks, you can, you can hear that, <laughs> you can hear. It. You can hear that, and I think that the Hans Zimmer way, for me at least, it's it's great to hear that he com- yeah he composed the, this complete song. Uh, I think that's pretty awesome, and and it tells something about what a great composer he is, and 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 how serious he takes his uh, his work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 really cool, and um, it's really exciting to 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 actually be able to to figure these things out because. Mike and I have been through this uh, quite a few times and we just went through, I kind of put you through the fucking ringer <laughs> on the last one we just did, which was the uh, the chef's piece because I was so obsessed with trying to come up with tracks ahead of time and Mike ended up doing a lot more work than he really would normally have done just be to fucking put me through it, <laughs> basically <laughs> allow me to go through this process. Um, it it is it's it, it's an interesting thing and i i think it's something that more composers and directors need to talk about because it, it's that point where unless i'm Mar, uh, uh, unless i'm like robert rodriguez where i know how to pick up a guitar and start to strum and start to to do stuff and then this also comes to that point of like i can't speak musically so do you guys find it more helpful to talk to a director that that knows uh music lingo and music writing lingo or no <laughs> no i think i think yeah the moment that a director thinks that he knows how to yeah you know see a c minor chord or augmenting or that's when i'm like all right <laughs> exactly <laughs> let's yeah. not have this conversation and say we did yeah. i'm feeling the same way it's 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 way better just to talk emotions and then and then it's my job to uh, you know uh, translate these emotions into music I think okay. that's a, a way easier for me to work, at least. And I think it's, it's it's the same for Mike. It sounds like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm in the studio and I'm working, like I'm offering murmuring notes and sounds in my out of my mouth. Like I'm not like sitting at like, you know, a dry erase board with like schematics of like what, what my song is going to sound like, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's pretty primal. And I think like I would hope to, if I'm talking to a director, that my conversation could be a little bit like that too, rather than like. <laughs> you know <laughs> rather than diving into like the depths of music theory <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's good to know because you're talking to someone i usually get made fun of on set because of the way i describe actions is like you know what i mean like, like and, then, blah, 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 and then this happens here you know because you know my vocabulary is the fucking worst anyway so um that's good that's good to know that's good to know so 
Um, so let's get into, uh, let me, let me steer it here a little bit. Um, so let's talk about actually writing and creating scores. Uh, so after you sit down and you have a conversation with a director and Martin, I'll start with you after you sit down yeah. and have a conversation with the director, um, how do you start? Like, what's the first step for you? It's just writing a lot of stuff. It's just, you know, write, but if I have to, uh send him or her like two songs then i just write maybe 10 something like that because i have to get get something from through this i, I have to write something <laughs> a lot to get it through the system uh so i'm not you know caught up in in my darlings and uh, and stuff like that so I, I just keep writing and writing and writing and writing and then i take the two best ideas and then i send them oh, that's something awesome. like that yeah. And then generally for you, I mean, because you're talking about, you're writing at lengths of commercial stuff. So you're, you're talking like maybe 60 seconds max kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And yeah. How, how long does it take you to just sort of uh, skeleton out like a, like a 60 second piece? Not long. <laughs> um, uh, I can do it in like no time. Because I have, I have all, all these tools and I, and I have been doing it for a lot of for a lot of years and I've been playing in bands always so so it's yeah yeah I, I work really quick so I can have a finished song in like a day or half a day and <laughs> something like that but when I'm working on Code Electro then it takes like two or three months to create one one track so now, it's a huge difference is that because you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself for for because it's your work or is it is it easier to to put out someone else's material because you know that ultimately you're just working for the man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know if it is it's easier but but you always have a deadline so so they always need the music in like a couple of days so you you jo you don't you don't have three months <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and when I have to decide for myself, you know, when enough is enough for my own music, um, then it's hard to stop. Uh, then it's uh, if I can do something better, then I have to do it. Um, There's never enough for perfection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then and then when I just keep turning up and turning down for the same track all the time, then I think <laughs> now now I'm done. <laughs> now, I, now I don't get any better. Yeah. Well, how about for you, Mike? Like, how do you how do you start? Where do you start? Um, and just in terms of uh, production, huh? Well, because all right, because you are. So I know you from the DJ world, but then you've also played instruments. Yeah. Is everything for you samples when you're doing scoring, or is it you know are you playing instruments? Like, how does it work for you? I mean, it really I guess depends on what I'm scoring, but um, for me, I guess just diving into like the mood, you know, like if if the director's intention is to have like something that's like sad or something like that. I'll, I'll often just go and dive into, you know, everything from samples to VSTs where, you know, I'm going through sound banks and creating, um, just emotions, um, out of just a couple of notes, you know what I mean? So I think that's what I'll start with. Um, and oftentimes like that will just get me into like a key, and that will just get me into like a basic tempo. And then once that is pretty much sculpted and then I'll sculpt around it. And then, you know, I'll do that for a little while. And then I might look back at another hour and be like, this is terrible. 
I'm gonna start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it's. I think. I think it, it's constantly just going through sounds, and and I think as, Mar- as Martin said, like I have like a bunch of um, programs that I'm I'm pretty comfortable with at this point, and oftentimes, you know, even when I was learning those programs, it was just all about going through things and then throwing sounds that I would find against the wall, and then seeing what made me feel good or made me feel sad or made me feel pensive mm. and then i would just kind of ride that feeling for a little while as i designed it you know and and, and like kind of like what martin was saying like it, it almost takes no time at all because i'm riding that that one feeling for a little while until i'm like done feeling that mm. you know what i mean um and then but as far as my own stuff i kind of suffer the same <laughs> the same issues where you know i could take three months sometimes on your own piece and some piece and sometimes in my occasions I've yet to release some stuff but I think it's when you're working with a, a director you, you you're working with someone's intention and you already have it almost like preconceived and so it's a little bit easier to kind of release something and, and see if that sticks you know what I mean where as yourself you're constantly questioning constantly being like well what 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 was I thinking you know a day ago when I first started this, you know, what was I thinking, you know, when I, when I started this a month ago, whereas when you're just really laying something out, it's like, well, this is what I think that they're thinking. Let's see if this works. Mm. So it's a little bit easier to kind of let go and just let's send this along and see if this goes. Mm. And I find that, um, even on my end of things, I find that, uh, I sometimes, I sometimes I'm, I'm envious of directors from like the seventies. Because there was a period in time where you would only see a movie or listen to a movie in the theater. So it didn't exist on DVD. It didn't exist on VHS yet. So it wasn't being scrutinized. It wasn't set basically as a babysitter for an entire generation where they would just watch the fucking Goonies every afternoon. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So like um, at that point in time, it was a little bit easier to learn and experiment while doing it because really the only time you ever saw it was on the screen and then maybe if it was like on hbo when hbo started and that kind of stuff you really had no access to it and these days i feel like one up when a fucking trailer's put out like i know we're all excited about that new blade runner trailer i mean how many times have we scrutinized that i know you have martin like like how many times do you go through that and you're looking at every shot and you're slowing it down and you're you're Mm. sort of going through it so there's this stress of like everything needs to be fucking perfect yeah. <laughs> when I put it out because so many people are going to be scrutinizing it. And for myself, I hit this point as an artist where I went, you know what, fuck them. Like I, like I actually hit a point where I went, you know what, dude, I'm going to put it out. And if it's yeah. not fucking perfect, like it's already gone through my shit to get to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my deadline. And if it's not fucking perfect, then guess what? The next one will be better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And as long as you continuously click on this fucking thing and watch this fucking thing, then it, you know what's exciting is that you'll actually watch me get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so <laughs> they, they, I understand that I understand that uh, that insecurity about it needing to be perfect. But then for myself mm, as an artist, sure. I hit a point where I just went, no, you know what? Fuck it. Like, it's more important for me to be putting things out regularly because then I get more work. And then I get more audience reaction to it than it is for me to just sort of sit on it and, and let this thing fucking stew until it's dead. You know what I mean? And, and I've yeah. done that. I've done that quite a few times too, personally. Sure, sure. I told. I told. Yeah, you that. 
Yeah, and I also think you more the more you put out, then you, the the better you get because you get better at your trade. Um, and and uh, sometimes when I I look at all these great musicians that I that I know, um, and a lot of them are way better at, than me at playing or composing or, but but they don't release anything. They don't create anything. Um, so I I all sometimes I think it's a little bit about courage to to risk it all and just you know put it out and then uh, this is what i've been working for been been working with for a couple of months what do you think um mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys think the same well, i completely agree with you man yeah I, yeah I guess i can kind of see that it's like as i said earlier it's kind of like a process and releasing music is just kind of part of your own process and in terms of growth and just releasing art yeah all right. Well, let me change gears a little bit. That was all really good stuff. Um, uh, a lot of people don't realize that a big part of scoring is workflow and then making your actual workflow work with an editor. And then at that point, you're dealing with OMFs and EDLs and all that stuff that is actually still kind of a real pain in the ass. Um, like, <laughs> how do you guys stay current? How do you guys stay up with workflow and, and how important is workflow to what you guys do? Um, well, I, (laughs) to be honest with you, it's been just kind of trial and error, but, um, I think with scoring films, it's, it's been primarily been using OMFs and then basically taking content from your producer director and then put inputting it into your, your DAW that you're using. Um, and for a little while, I think that's the only, the only real major way that you could really do that was through OMFs if you especially if you want to use like the SFX um but yeah I think for myself I've I've kind of just figured out this one way that we've been doing stuff in terms of transferring an OMF and then receiving a a, a bounce down of like the video in its form in its raw edit form and then just kind of scoring to that and getting you know, getting all your timing down and getting all your moods right and then watching it over and over. Um, at this point, I think like, you know, being prepared and knowing all your VSTs and, and knowing all where all your sounds are are really for, important in terms of flow is concerned. But um, I'm sure everyone has their kind of own unique way. But as far as myself, I think um, just kind of how I've gone about it in the past few years is, is really hasn't changed too much it's pretty much the same um form um just different content how about with you martin are you doing a lot of omf stuff or are you just writing tracks yeah, and yes yeah. yeah 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 a lot of omf stuff yeah sure yeah. and then the director suddenly says then we have <laughs> changed the timeline and we have a different <laughs> cut and then it's like oh no <laughs> especially hate- on the things i have done um when when I've done sound design and you know like I have like 200 tracks in Pro Tools or something I'd like that and that's 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 not a lot I know that but uh, but but when the director then says that yeah we just put in a few seconds here at this bar and it's like <laughs> oh no <laughs> it's like hell <laughs> I, so, I, yeah. I, I there's been a few times where I've had to do that and and it, oftentimes never do that <laughs> I know I know, I know. <laughs> and oftentimes it's coming from a client base and usually like yeah. when a client asks me to do that like the whole room shuts down and I'm just looking at them and steaming it's like you just don't realize <laughs> yeah. it's like an earthquake started and that seismic 
uh, trigger yeah. is just going to flow over everything. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, and I guess I bring that up because I think there's a lot of younger filmmakers that uh, are scared of working with composers and working with folks because they're concerned with the workflow or they don't really understand the workflow. Do you guys, if you're working with someone new, is it just as simple as getting on the phone and sort of talking it out? Like, how do you guys set it up, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's something like that. You you, you just talk about what's... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... Usually... You, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, usually the, the di director has a vision of how we are going to work together. And then, uh, yeah, we work something out. Yeah, I think for the most part... Um, it's just a conversation you have um and the, the the few people that i've worked with it's just been omfs and then i oftentimes if you know if i have to just send a link of you know how to do it how to how to essentially bounce out an omf and you know the the beauty of the internet is like how to's are plentiful so it's not it's not that bad which is funny because that's I, I was talking <laughs> to a friend of mine um who works for a production company he was right he's like i i he works with a lot of uh, uh interns and pas and anytime an intern comes in and asks him how to render something out he's like uh you're not here anymore like, <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not gonna work with you because you literally can uh boot up uh youtube and fix anything right now and as long as you have yeah. the patience to do so um you can i mean I, you know unfortunately you can't learn technique and all that stuff from it, but you can actually set up a system and go like, okay, you know, this is how this is OMF supposed to work, or this is how you lay in music, and this is how you do that. Um, I was very fortunate when I started. Uh, I shared a studio space probably eight years ago, nine years ago, with a location sound mixer who was also doing sound effects work. So on my downtime, I got to go on set with him and hang out and, you know, be exposed to like what different microphones sounded like and then we would spend uh time recording sound effects and laying in sound effects and so when i do a cut i usually and mike knows this my shit will be pretty intense like i'll have multiple tracks of sound edits and sound effects edits in there um because i i for me it's a fluid experience of doing it as i'm cutting it um because once cool. again so go ahead martin i'm sorry yeah so, so you create your own sound effects or yeah, I, I will have a library of stuff, and then sometimes... Hello? Are you still there, bud? How about that? Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of times yeah, yeah. A lot of times, I work with uh, a library of stuff that I've collected, and I'll, I'll just have them in, and, and sometimes I just convince mm -hmm. myself that they're temp, and oftentimes they end up being for real. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, or <laughs> I'll send out a sound mixer, or I'll have a location sound mixer go and grab me a bunch of sound effects on set. And now, because of my experience with that sound mixer, even in my scripts, you'll see sound cues written in my scripts, and you'll see uh, all these different moments of sound. And, and 12 cam, I think, was the culmination of all of that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because 12 cam was essentially about a sound and essentially about actually a sound man. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which was cool. So um, I I think it's really exciting. And you know, my recent pitch to producers. Uh, for feature films and I think one of the biggest draws for me for cinema for for actually going to a theater is the sound systems and I'm often astounded with the fact that they spend so much time advertising fucking IMAX and they spend all this time advertising the <laughs> visuals where in my mind in in my mind as a director I want to be known as a guy that brings you into a theater because this 
this is the only fucking place you'll ever hear this movie sound like this. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, and 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 now with like the twenty four, what is the new thing? It's like twenty four surround or something like that. Where there's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty four yeah, speakers yeah. in the ceiling, and 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 having the ability to completely manipulate the the actual air, mm-hmm. essentially with subwoofers and with everything else with all these different tones, that. I mean, I'll go watch a fucking Michael Bay movie, which I know Transformers is going to be a piece of shit, just because I know that his sound design and the dudes that do his sound design work are outstanding. And it's just this, Mm. it's almost like going to a concert. It's this wall of fucking sound and fully immersive sound stuff. Um, So I'm off on a tangent, but I'm I'm totally nerdy about it. And I'm super excited about uh, making movies that are... Almost more sound, almost sixty percent more sound than visual. Yeah. What What do you think about uh, David Lynch? Because he also do, does a lot of the sound design himself. I think actually he he has a sound design credit on a lot of his stuff, it, and he did the Twin Peaks. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. David David Lynch is. Uh, I've been watching the new Twin Peaks. I don't know if you have you watched any of the new. Yeah, Twin yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been watching the new <laughs> Twin Peaks, and I usually start out an episode laughing because of <laughs> because of the stuff that he does only he can do it like yeah. like no one else would get away with these super long really obnoxious <laughs> yes. coverage scenes with like great actors acting terribly like badly <laughs> yeah, on there yeah, yeah um and then i think if you watched and there's spoilers here so if you guys haven't seen uh the twin peaks episode then mute it for a couple seconds um but I don't know if you guys have seen that. Uh, I think it was like the seventh episode or the eighth episode where it gets really surreal and it starts with the atomic bomb blast, um, and then it cuts to these homeless mm. guys and it's got that whole "got a light, got a light" thing that happens. There's a bit there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a bit there where they're outside a gas station and literally it seems like all he's doing is recording off of his edit system and just scrubbing through. The timeline, because you just hear, and it's just him just grabbing the scrubber on that timeline and just recording yeah. that audio. <laughs> so I, I, I love him, man. I mean, long story short, I think what he does is really great. I think that he's such a refreshing yeah. thing right now because m- almost everything is so corporate, like so so much like corporate run, and everybody wants to have a very strict sort of. This is how it happens, and this is the schedule that it happens in. And I think David Lynch is just very much influenced by the moment with what he does. So mm. sound-wise, I think it's fucking fantastic that he does that stuff. Mm. You know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 it's it's really cool that he can make such weird stuff and get out to so many people. I think that's that that has to be the goal <laughs> yeah as an artist some somehow yeah yeah man and, and, and as a filmmaker it's really difficult i mean it's an exciting time right now because you can be someone that makes an indie film and uh because of the way the marketplace works right now you can one film later be directing godzilla mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's exciting being a young filmmaker because you will suddenly have those opportunities But I also think that one of the reasons why those opportunities exist is because the corporate people want to have a young, inexperienced director that they can ultimately push around and they can ultimately Mm. make them do what they want. And you see this all the time with stories of like the two guys that were directing the Han Solo movie that literally Mm -hmm. got fired right at the point where 
uh, the uh, the DGA rules would not allow them. Like, wow! It's like if they had finished that whole shoot, then they would be uh, union contracted to have final cut for the movie and yeah. all that. Yeah, they fucking just cut them off right before that point. Oh, that's terrible. You know what I mean? So like, there's a lot of these these games going on for for younger directors. And I had this conversation the other day with uh, the writer of my new piece that I'm doing. Um, and I said to him, it's really important if we're going to do an independent film that we come out of the gate with as much experimental stuff as possible so that way we can set the tone. Because I find mm. that even when I do uh, commercials and stuff, I usually get hired by a commercial client to replicate something that I did on my own two years prior. Yeah. And when they hire me, they go, we really love that thing you did. And it's super crazy and super wild. Uh, we'd like you to do it again. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, but by the way, can you just tame this down and can you calm that thing <laughs> down and can you do that? And so that ends up being the starting point for most of my work. And my goal, at least with uh, my first feature, is that I want to come out of the gate with the craziest, scariest, the fucking darkest thing. Most I visceral and surreal that kind I of can vibe. do. Yeah. Because <laughs> at that independent level, you're really not going to get that much pushback from the people as long as like you take something that costs $4 million and make them $140 million, then they're going right, right, right. to literally stand behind you and jack you off. <laughs> right, like at right, that point, it doesn't right. make a difference. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think once you do that, then uh, if you can continue to manipulate that as you do your films, then you can ultimately become like a David Lynch because he makes these decisions and he's able to do the stuff with Showtime because he has that fucking career behind him first. Yeah, yeah. And cool. then second, yeah. he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, notoriety, there's yeah. leverage, and then just also at that point, I'm sure it's creative freedom, you know, like just not mm. not caring to to worth. I'm sure trying, you know, his his own process. Yeah, yeah, and he's also a painter. He's also a musician. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I've heard rumors mm. that uh, Showtime came back to them after seeing one of his first cuts, and Showtime had notes on the edit, and David Lynch went, "I quit," <laughs> and he just he just walked away, and they were like, yeah. "What? What?" And he said, "Nope, I'm out. I'm out." And they begged him to come back and they said to him, we will not interfere. And so when you watch these cuts, they must be fucking squirming when they when yeah. they watch these things because it's hard to watch. I mean, it's going against all, <laughs> um, you know, status quo. And I think that's like for him probably producing a bunch of stuff that was, um, you know, cookie cutter. I'm yeah. sure he just got sick of it and was like, okay, well, how can we like break that mold? You know, like when, when the timing, when you expect, you know, the timing or the pacing to be something to go against that and to, to, to break that, um, you know, to stutter that step a little bit, to make you may, maybe make something happen when it shouldn't happen, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's what it's all about, you know, like. That's why shit's so, I mean, without getting too deep into it, that's why shit's so scary to me. <laughs> this timing uh, well it, yeah because he what he'll do is he'll bring you in so he brings you into a scene and he fucks with you mm-hmm. so you, yeah. you start the scene and you go okay master shot close up reaction close up reaction close up reaction close up and no one's saying anything and you're just sort of sitting there going like <laughs> what what is going on what right is, now? is this bad yeah like is this bad yeah is what i'm watching <laughs> shitty and so then you then you start to, with anything, and I firmly believe that this is one of the reasons why a lot of pop songs are famous and familiar, is that when you hear something or see something more than like five or six times, you start to get into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? You start yeah. to register it. And so then you start to get pulled into his world and there's like two or three scenes where he's like, 
you know, guess what? This is slow and this is stupid and this is ridiculous. And you're like, oh, okay. And then he brings you into this place, which is already uncomfortable for you because there's nowhere for you to, there's no comfortable point of reference. Right. And then he starts to do some scary shit and he's already broken down your defenses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then suddenly you're like, why is this so fucking scary? And the tricks he's doing aren't, you know, crazy CGI. No, or, no, or no, none no. Of that. It's just him taking a low rumble tone. Yeah, sound or, design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and taking a normal sequence and reactions that people are doing. Yep. And and suddenly you're like, fuck, this is scary. Yeah. And yeah. This, this is yeah. scarier than the last Conjuring movie. And this is scarier yeah, than yeah, the yeah. last Annabelle movie because yeah. it, it has created a whole new world for him, for us to play in as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. What what was the movie called where where, where there was he did this opening sequence uh, with the old uh, fire truck and then there's a guy who is uh, watering his garden and a dog and <laughs> yes, uh, yes. and and, and that you have this happy music and you have this very scary sound design <laughs> and it just gives this weird feeling. Uh, oh, was that that I ha that I haven't see seen that before at that point, but I, but I. I don't know all movies in the world, but but I think it was pretty unique. I think that was Blue Velvet, wasn't that Blue Velvet? Yeah, 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 sure. yeah, yeah. Because didn't they go down? Was that the one where he goes down into the grass of like that Americana yeah. neighborhood, and there were these fucking ants like eating something? Yeah, <laughs> and you can hear the ants. You can hear wow. the sound of the. It's crazy, and you have this happy music. I, I can't remember what music it is, but it's really weird. Yeah. And it's even scarier because you have the happy music, you have weird images, and you have weird sound design. So it's a very weird combination. I love it, man. And I, I, he, I mean, if you've seen, you guys have, uh, Mike's obviously seen 12 Cam, he worked on it, and you've seen 12 Cam. There are sections of that movie where I feel like David Lynch is definitely an influence. Um, mm. It's probably subconsciously more than consciously. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I, I, it's phenomenal. And, and because of great sound design you really don't need much and sound design I, th i feel like is a bit cheaper and a lot of people sort of uh a yeah. lot of producers sort of glaze over that oh yeah like That's... there there have been times in, in a short that i've done in the past where like i because of the sound design i had a fucking helicopter land i had this happen i had that happen <laughs> like you you can sell you can sell moments you know with, yeah. with good sound design you can you can convey like real real feelings with just good sound design without even even the score with just good sound design right and it's cheap yeah it's i mean yeah yeah I, I, and also it's like it's like a direct Uh, entrance to people's emotions because people can't, you know, um, uh, people can't close their ears, but they can close their eyes if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> so you're just talking to people's emotions oh, right, right away. away. Yeah, uh, right away. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's that old saying like you can go watch a movie that looks like shit, but you cannot you watch cannot. a movie that sounds like shit. Yeah, it, you you yeah. you'll get pulled out immediately if you, yeah. the moment your ears hear something that like it shouldn't be there, you just get pulled out immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then that brings me to my next question here. So these days, uh, a big part of music and sound design is mixing, and I feel like mixing is become one of the most important steps. Uh, hold on a second. That was my phone ringing. I feel like uh, mixing has become one of the most important steps um, because you have to create a track or you have to create a soundscape that not only sounds good in a theater or on your TV, but now also has to sound good on your fucking iPhone and down to, uh, you know, the tiniest speaker. 
Um, so for you mm. guys, what is your process on mastering? Like, how do you master your stuff out to make it sound great all the way around? I listen a lot of to a lot of my of my music on the on the Apple. Uh, well, uh, I what's it, what what's yeah, the, what are they called the yeah I was literally the earpods. Yeah, I was literally, or, yeah. I was literally about to say the same thing. Um, yeah. Lots of re- because I know people would li- listen on them too. So yeah, I think referencing on um, as many different speaker setups as possible but primarily what most people who are going to consume your content um, whether that's like the iphone or a laptop or like the uh, apple earbuds um, i think those Mm. are um, good baseline things to reference on and and you always have to check in those because if the vast majority of people are listening to um, your content that through that then that's what you got to go for um you know this interestingly enough uh dr dre used to listen to all his records inside cars um not because they sounded good i mean they sounded great in cars but it's also primarily because people who were listening to his albums were actually listening to them in their cadillacs or in their cars so that's where he needed it to sound the best yeah makes sense that's awesome yeah we we kind of do the same thing with visuals like yeah. we'll, we'll we'll look at stuff on a like if i do photo shoot and i color a photo shoot i'm always looking at it on uh on a laptop and on the on the iphone <laughs> and then oftentimes i'll have some piece of shit like tv vcr combo in the room for the people out west that yeah because you know, ultimately that's what you're <laughs> it's going to be finally consumed as it's going to be seen on that on that in that medium you know which is a tough thing because then when you're in that mixing space and you have like that amazing subwoofer and you have all that amazing <laughs> stuff, yeah yeah, 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 like no one else is gonna hear it as good as it was in your space when you designed it. Though. Yeah, it gets diluted down to you know basic, really, really basic, very narrow <laughs> sound frequencies. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta, yeah. it's gotta be a little heartbreaking at a certain point for you guys. Oh, hundred percent. Right? But you know, it's yeah, it's definitely crazy because we're definitely living in a time though, like kind of as you were saying with um, you know, whatever the twenty-something wad point surround sound. We're living in a time where I think you know technology is also constantly growing. So even your baseline quality of sound has been raised. So, you know, to go back to even to where we we're saying, you know, mm. listening to Apple earbuds, I think people who use uh, Beats by Dre, like even though those are mass produced headphones, um to a certain degree like those headphones have set a standard to how people listen to music. Like that's the mass majority of whether, you know, whether you're a sports guy or whatever who own those headphones, yeah. that's where a vast majority of people are listening to the music so that's almost like their point of reference you know mm-hmm. what i mean but interestingly enough is even as technology's gotten cheaper like you definitely have um quality of audio becoming much much better and more accessible so even though those mm. it's silly to say this but those bluetooth um wireless you know boxes um, oftentimes now have like bass frequencies that it can hit where you know you couldn't really hear um 60 hertz or 480 hertz before i mean you, you, re- you really couldn't really hear about those boxes but mm-hmm. you have a, 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 a an understanding that that those frequencies exist because those boxes are able to you know create that that type of sound so i think technology is playing a huge role as to how we consume sound and and video because it's becoming a lot more easy and then you're getting a higher quality too so it's it's almost asking more of us you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's cool that's cool 
Um, all right, well, cool. Let me uh, swap into like the final leg of what we're doing here. And, uh, you know, maybe there are some young composers and there are some other folks that are listening to this episode. Um, so I really want to sort of get into, you know, the process of being an artist and then trying to get your way into the business and get your way into work. Um, and uh, Martin, uh, I know because you came out and visited us a few months ago uh and then you ended up going out uh, to, to L.A. You ended up going out that way. Yeah. And if you if you feel like you can talk about that stuff, it would be cool. Like uh, you went out to L.A. to have some meetings to yeah. try to get some work, right? How did that stuff go? What, what, what was your goal? Yeah, it, it went uh, very well. I had uh, two meetings with uh, Sony and uh, a couple of other meetings with uh, Trailer House, uh, which is... Um, a music production or a music library who who provides music for trailers and then i had a fourth meeting with uh, uh, another record label um, but but um, yeah but but they all went really well but um, but for me the most important part is building uh, relationships because i'm not I'm not in this business, or I hope not. I'm not in this business business uh, short term. For me, it's like a whole career, um, if that makes any sense. I don't really believe in this uh, su- success uh, overnight, and then you just become a huge star or something like that. That's that's not for me. If I just can, you know, make a living and and just work on the things that I like and 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 perhaps earn a little money, then I'm uh, really happy. Um, so for me, it's more about uh, building relationships and. And that's also part of uh, why I went to uh, LA, and uh, yeah, but uh, really exciting, and uh, yeah, you never know if uh, I've tried this a lot before, and I'm sure you guys have too. But and so suddenly one day they are going to call you, and then you have to deliver something like in a week or so. Um, yeah, but you never know. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. So then uh, this is my next question, and then this is probably to the both of you um, is. Do you think it is a benefit? Do you think it's a bigger benefit to have an established persona? Like, do you think it benefits you, Martin, to be Code Electro? And then, Mike, do you think it benefits you to be Voltran for DJ stuff in this business? Mm, I'm not sure because... I don't know. It, it, It can go both ways because the people I work for, they often just... You know they have a problem that they want to be solved and if you solve it then it's good and they don't care about who you are or you know <laughs> they just have to know that that they can depend on you and that you can solve the the the, the assignment but but on the other hand being an artist also can give you some uh, credibility um i think which is why i just you know took the artist way <laughs> a couple of years ago um yeah i guess i guess like you would hope that like your you know whatever your brand or whatever gives you a little bit of notoriety but i think at the end of the day (laughs) if you're unable to produce a track that you know fits the what you're looking what they're looking for then i don't think it really matters you know what i mean um Mm. i think you know i mean as far as myself like it I think that like maybe like my reputation or whatever as it being a DJ in the city or um has helped me as far as like the the perception of being a quote unquote creative or whatever but I think at the end of the day like if I didn't like 
work hard and just produce like good good content i think none of that would really even matter i'd just be the dj that produced crappy stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what i mean so um and i guess at the end of the day it just really does go back to like who you know and like the the relationships that you foster and those are the ones that i think um being long term and more fruitful and um i think that the brand is is i guess is important but it, it it's just business and it's just getting it out there so people who don't know you have can read up about you but i think the people you end up working with um oftentimes know you um a little bit more and even the people who eventually approach you eventually get to know you and get to know your your actual work and who you are and and those are the ones that are the people who entrust you you know what i mean and entrust you to to complete what they're looking to do um i think anything else is just kind of just a pursuit to chase for money and at that point it really how much does it really matter you know right 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 (laughs) and then you know ultimately you know the I find personally the best stuff I do is the shit that I don't get paid for. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I think that uh, you know the the hope is that you do enough really great stuff that um, you know one day someone's just going to hire you to be able to do that. But um, you know, even even at the larger level, it's so astounding to me to watch people putting things together and they're not even on the payroll yet. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And so. Mm-hmm. Um, with anything in this business, I've said this before on this podcast, I feel like you have to be doing shit for at least eight years before anybody starts to really call you up and before you start to <laughs> get that. And then you start to cross into that 10-year mark when you start to get paid somewhat of what it is that you should be paid. Um, but I think that most listeners should not be depressed if they're two years, three years in and they're still unpaid as long as they're fostering those great relationships yeah Mm. and as long as they're creating music or content that is exciting to them and the people that listen to them you know oh yeah i mean i think every yeah go ahead i think i worked like i I worked for free for the first three years something like that yeah before i before i you know had the a portfolio and before I was good enough to to do jobs that I got paid for so for me it was like three years but um, but I had nothing I had no network I had no uh, no skills <laughs> I also I almost uh, were going to say so um, yeah I don't know if it was were the same for you uh, Mike yeah I, th- I think like you know just like anything else you just have to have this process that you go through you know whether you start out and you have one client and you spend like weeks upon doing, I think you just have to, to, to keep on nailing stuff out and, and, and take on projects and, and, and nail stuff out. But yeah, like a, a, what is it? They say like, it's a hundred thousand hours until you become a master or something like that. Like, yeah. I mean, 10,000. 10, yeah. So I, I mean, so I literally think it's, you know, to a degree, there is something to be said about that where you just have to just, be constantly grinding and honing your your skills and I mean I still feel like I'm 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 finding my stride you know what I mean regardless of yeah exactly yeah it, it it's good it's good to hear on on all fronts and I think that uh, with me I'll hit points where I get frustrated and then what happens is you get frustrated and then it's very easy to become jaded oh yeah um mm. oh yeah and th- especially with the commercial world um, <laughs> uh, you can very simply get jaded. 
and then thank God for the personal projects and thank God for the love. Like I could not do anything else. And so when I go and do these, these fun little jobs and we just did that one for the, the chef's one, Yeah. you know, and for that one, we, you know, I got a lot of shit for that because ultimately, you know, we're dealing with a great client that only gave us a certain amount of money to do something. And what I should have done according to, you know, the rules of business was just stamp out the exact same thing that he had seen before. Because oh, yeah. he, he was really excited in that thing that he had seen before. And he said, look, I, I wish that my brand was attached to the art of plating piece that we had worked on. Gotcha. And then um, when I talked to him, he goes, yeah, but, you know, you guys are so creative. You guys can do whatever you want. And he allowed me, because mostly because he wasn't in the country. I mean, ultimately, he's a company out of, like, Canada. Gotcha. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the fact that he wasn't on set, the fact that he wasn't doing all this stuff, and I got a, a little bit of pushback from the folks that I work with where they were like, why are we making this into something difficult? And my point was, if I just do that fucking thing that we did before, I'm not making enough money for that to be worth my time. No, what's the point? First off. Mm. And then second, what are we learning? And then third, if I am at that point where I'm just replicating what I do, then anybody else is going to be replicating what I do. Yeah, they're going to be able to figure that out and do it themselves. So let's do something weird and let's do something difficult because it was a hard... That post-process on that piece was a bitch. Oh, yeah. That was a bitch for you and me and it was a bitch for me and Tony who edited it. Um, But because of that, and then we just released that and we've been getting feedback on it, all of the, the ad world people... That have been contacting and, t- and talking about this stuff have been like, wow, this is different. This looks different. This feels different. This is like a whole new thing. And this is like a whole new type of branded content. And this is amazing. And everybody really loves it. And you sit there and go, fuck. That, it was that point when I <laughs> made that initial decision where I could have just been like, you know what? There isn't enough money. Let's just do what we always fucking do. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Or let's do this thing that I'm not really going to get paid for, but ultimately make something really great. Yeah, know? yeah. So, I don't know. Hopefully, that's somewhat inspiring for somebody out there. There's definitely a little bit more longevity when you're willing to take risks, you know. And even if it, you know, it's better to have done it than not to have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you just got to be used to being broke. You know. (laughs) You got to try. You got to (laughs) try. You just got to be used to not having any fucking money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the whole deal. You know, just used to being an old bum, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's all good to me. Um, All right. Well, I think. uh, At least you're happy, though, you know. You can be pissed poor, but at least you'd be happy. You can be, you know. Yeah. I could have gotten into finance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well well the, f- the funny thing is uh, I actually have uh, um, a degree in economics <laughs> I, read, I studied at the university <laughs> and then <laughs> so I could I could actually also have gone gone into finance yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it became a science fiction mu- music instead uh, <laughs> on vinyl so yeah yes you know, uh, wolf cop cars. I can see the correlation there, right? From finance to wolf cop cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. All right. Well, I, we're, you know, we're pushing about an hour and a half. So I think this is a good point to sort of wrap this thing up. Um, I really appreciate everybody listening to this episode. And I hope that um, you have a bit more insight into how music is made uh, for video and for films. Um, and then if you are 
you know, nervous or if you have been nervous to sort of contact a composer, um, I know that you can contact either of these guys, honestly. I wouldn't feel afraid of it. Sure. I mean, the the days of the internet, you just drop an email or a note and you just have a conversation. Yeah. Um, Be afraid. <laughs> Be very afraid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, at the tail end here, this is I usually give an opportunity for you guys to plug anything. Is there anything, uh, Martin, I'll start with you. Is there anything that you want to advertise or plug or uh, any of your websites or blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Uh, uh, if if people want to dig into the code electro they are well, very welcome to go to the code electro website um also i'm i'm releasing a new album in a month or so so uh, very exciting times <laughs> yeah it's cool man it's a good album yeah. it's a great album i've heard yeah, it thanks yeah yeah and then if you listen to this show uh whenever you hear any of our music stingers or music bumps that are happening here it's it's code electro's work so um it's definitely really cool stuff and i'm a huge fan of it thanks yep and then uh that's awesome thanks what about you trent what do you got um let's see um not really crazy but um yeah i guess really just um the dalstrung stuff big up to mike and having me um on that piece and then uh i guess in the future i'm working on a uh the embrace music video for nightmare which i helped score and uh you know, do some work with. So that's pretty much what I got in the works right now. You still, uh, you still playing shows? I am playing shows. Yeah. So I uh, just recently played uh, a, a boat cruise uh, with Zed's Dead, but I'm kind of just chilling for the probably for the next week or two. I'll have to come to one of your shows again. Oh, dude, do, we'd love to have you. I'll have to do bottle service and <laughs> love you. Ha- love to have you in the uh, the boat cruise of debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, excellent, guys. Thank you so much. And Martin, thank you for... I know, you know, it's nighttime over there. Uh, ah, it's 8 o'clock. So, yeah, 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah. So, not nighttime yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, I, I really appreciate you uh, getting on the line. And I always have a great time talking to you. Um, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Likewise. And thanks for having me on this, on the show. It's been really fun and uh, fun talking to you too, Mike. Yeah, nice chatting with you, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and then uh, Tran, as always. No, thanks for having me. You know, it's, uh, look forward to doing more creative stuff. And uh, if anyone out there has any questions, feel free to reach out. You know, I uh, would love to work with other people and or, you know, just answer any questions. So thank you for having me. Okay, guys. So uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. So thanks for listening to this episode of In Love with the Process. Um, I hope you guys learned a lot about uh, how I deal with uh, music scoring and um, hopefully it helps you as directors on how to communicate with other creatives to get your vision onto film. Um, I know it's been a while since we've released an episode. We've got a lot of exciting things going on. I'm about to go into production on a new uh, proof of concept short film that hopefully will scare the shit out of you guys. So that is my aim and goal. Um, And I'm hoping to do a couple of more podcasts as this year progresses. Uh, They may not come out as regularly because we have a lot going on, but I promise you that they will be exciting and interesting. Um, And I don't, I want to tease them, but I don't want to tease them because we don't have them confirmed yet. So I guess you're just going to have to wait and see what we do. Uh, The good news is, is that Dave is back. So Dave will be working with me this year and uh, we'll be putting out better 
and uh, bigger content for you guys. And I really appreciate you guys sticking with us and listening to the show. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Mike Petchy on Instagram, and you'll be able to see all sorts of really cool behind-the-scenes stuff on this new short film. Uh, if you have been following me there, you'll see, I think you've seen some teaser images of some of the storyboard work that I've been doing. Um, and then there's a lot of really exciting stuff going on with 12KM that I still can't talk to you about, but uh, there's so many great stories, and I, I really want to do a podcast that sort of gives you guys an insight into how to go and pitch at Hollywood. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to do that this year as well. So anyway, I'm blabbing on. Uh, why don't we leave this episode with some music from both Code Electro and Mike Tran, and maybe we'll give you a little bit of an audio tease at that Punisher movie that you weren't able to um, see. Um, and it's not for the... It's, you know what? It's not from the Punisher movie. Never mind. It's not from the Punisher movie. It's just some random movie that, that Mike Tran did stuff from, because I'm not supposed to show anything from that. So I, I lied. We're not, it's not anything from the Punisher movie. It's just some random film that uh, Mike did really great music for, and that Dave's brother was in, and that, uh, you know, may or may not, he may or may not have been wearing an eye patch, but you can't tell because you're just listening to it. One of our sponsors for this episode is Azo, and Azo just sent us over one of their brand new CG318 self-calibrating 4K monitors. Everything looks gorgeous on this thing. I'm super excited to have it in the edit bay, and uh, we're hopefully going to feature it in one of our behind-the-scenes videos coming up. Um, if you guys are looking for uh, a monitor for your high-end edit system and you guys are cutting 4K stuff and you want to make sure that you're color correcting to a properly calibrated monitor, definitely go check out Azo and check out their CG318 self-calibrating 4K monitor. Thanks, Azo. Puget Systems. Are you in the market for a new edit system? Tired of every software update making your machine run slower? Do you want a system that runs faster than the three choices that you get from Apple? Then I seriously suggest you look into buying a PC. They are faster and easily upgraded, and Puget Systems support and technical help blows AppleCare out of the water. Go to PugetSystems.com. They have made it easy for you to get started by allowing you to select the software you use and automatically pairing it up with the right computer model for your needs. Seriously, go check them out. PugetSystems.com Rule Boston Camera. I've said it before and I'll say it again, I love renting equipment from a local rental house. Not only do I always have the latest and greatest gear, but they have my back. If something goes wrong on set, they will hand deliver a replacement. It keeps my clients happy, it keeps my brain happy, it's the only way to shoot. Now if you're on the East Coast, I highly suggest you go hang out with my good buddies at Rule Boston Camera. I can, the one-stop shop for monitors, camera support, follow focuses, lighting and more. Are you looking for a great kit for everyday shooting? If so, I would go to iCanCorp.com and take a peek. Tita and I have been using their LED panels and their tripods and their camera support systems for a while. These guys are great, they have awesome prices, and they're really loyal. So go to iCanCorp.com. McFarland and Pesci. Do you want to see all the cool projects that I'm constantly referencing on the show? Are you a big fan of cooking, music, artists, music videos, photography, and more? Then go to McFarlandPesci.com and take a peek around. That's also the best place to reach me if you want to hire me for work because we are for hire. So go to McFarlandandPesci.com.